You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. This afternoon we find a scripture reading from 1 Peter chapter 1. We begin reading God's Word at verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, a Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with great, and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who calls you is holy... So be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a Father who judges each man's work impartially, live live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. 
The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. This afternoon we find our text from the, the first letter of Peter, chapter 1, verse 13. 1 Peter 1, verse 13. And there Peter writes, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we look at Peter's first letter, we can say that this first letter of the Apostle Peter is a, is a message of hope. Throughout this letter, the Apostle speaks about the hope that the Lord has given to His people. It's already in the very beginning of this letter in chapter 1, verse 3, Peter writes that the Lord has given to us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we know that life without hope is impossible. Hope, you can say, is what keeps people going, and without hope, what happens is that people simply give up. Without hope, people fall into despair. And when there's despair, there is no longer any reason to continue on with life. But when there is hope, there is an expectancy for things to get better in the future. And that gives reason also in difficult circumstances to continue on living. But remember that the Apostle Peter is writing his letter to the Christians who have been scattered through Asia Minor because of persecution for their faith. The lives of God's children at this time have become extremely difficult. When these people to whom Peter is writing have become Christians and they had turned to the Christian faith, it is quite likely that they had not realized at that time the suffering and the pain that that commitment to the faith was going to bring into their lives. And when they made that commitment to Christ and they made that commitment to, to faith in the Lord God, Instead of making their lives better, instead of making their life easier, their faith only made life much more difficult. The persecutions arose, many had to flee from their homes. Others had to suffer the mockery and ridicule and the hardships at the hands of their unbelieving neighbors or their unbelieving master, perhaps for many, even their unbelieving husband or wife. It appears, as Peter writes this letter, that he writes because he's concerned that there are many who may be losing sight of the glorious hope that they have received through the gospel. And therefore, the apostle Peter addresses the whole aspect of the Christian hope in his letter. As God's people, a people redeemed with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's people are a people who have a great hope, and it is, and it is that hope that also makes it possible for them to continue on in this life. And so also in times of persecution, life can become extremely difficult, and yet God's people can continue to live with joy. Yes, with joy, because of the hope that the Lord God has given to them in the Lord Jesus Christ. There can also be times when we in our lives, beloved, 
may be faced with difficulties and with hardships. And we may, and we may even begin to wonder at times as, as we face those, those pains of life. What's the use of continuing on with this life? Perhaps you find yourself to be very lonely. Perhaps you've had to endure, perhaps you have to endure pain every day. Perhaps as you become older, you have to deal with the frailties of life, the frailties that get you down. Perhaps there are other issues in your life that brings about disappointments that at times can be devastating and can upset our whole lives. And then we may ask ourselves that question, what is the use of this life? Why should I continue on with my life? What reason do I have to continue And yet, beloved, the Lord God, He comes with His Word and He reminds us of the glorious hope that He's given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. He reminds us that we have the hope of salvation and we have that glorious hope of that great inheritance that awaits us, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, Peter also commands us in our text to set our hope on the grace to be given to us at the coming of Jesus Christ. The whole point of this text is that we need to be actively setting our hope on the promises of the Lord. Well, you know, in our culture today, uh, people often think that such things as hope, and we can include love also in the, in the same category, that these things are things that come to us naturally, automatically. We beloved, the Scriptures reveal that these are things that we are commanded to do. We're commanded to love, and as we are commanded to love, now we're also commanded to place our hope in the promises of God. This is an active activity of the mind. Every day we are called to turn our mind to the hope that the Lord has given to us in His Son, in Jesus Christ. And so this afternoon I may proclaim to you God's Word under this theme. The Lord calls you to actively set your hope on the grace to be given to you at the coming of Jesus Christ. We'll look at three things. First of all, we see that we're to set, that you're to set your hope on God's grace. Secondly, you're to prepare your minds for action. Thirdly, you are to be self-controlled. Peter commands Christian readers to set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As we said, we we often think that hope is something that just comes to us naturally and automatically. We often think the same about love. Right in our society, love is just something that happens. And therefore, when we are and therefore we're really not responsible either when we fall out of love. Falling out of love becomes the excuse for somebody to leave his husband or or to leave her husband, or to leave his wife. The idea is, well, either you love or you don't. We really don't have any control over that emotion. And yet the Lord God tells us in His Holy Word that we are responsible also for our feeling of love towards somebody else. The Lord commands us, for example, to love our our husband, or to love our wife. And therefore, we need to actively work at loving our spouse. Love doesn't come Automatically it comes with a lot of hard work in obeying the command of our Lord. But what is true of love 
It's just as true of that other emotion, which is hope. Hope is not just an emotion that that happens and over which we don't have any control, but the Lord, you notice, commands us to hope. And you can only experience hope when you actively pursue hope then in your life. Well, that may sound strange. It's not strange to our ears because we live in a society that stresses feelings, that stress on our emotions. Sometimes you also hear the expression that if it feels good, it must be good. If it feels good, then well, you should just go ahead and do it. It must be all right. Well, the Lord says that your hope has nothing to do with your feelings or with your emotions. What you feel and the emotions that you have is a result of actively pursuing the only hope in your life. And so Peter clearly tells us uh, that hope is a duty that can only be experienced when we are obedient to the instruction and to the direction of our Lord. You know, when somebody lives without hope, when someone is only full of despair, then generally we can say that that person lives, or that that's a result of disobedience to the will of God. Now let me qualify that, because we also should keep in mind, of course, that there may be many reasons why a person may fall in despair, and we know that people also have to deal with depression. And depression is not always necessarily a result of a lack of faith. It can also be something that is a result of medical underlying medical problems and, and reasons. And so when somebody deals with despair or with depression, we should not immediately now go and accuse them of having a lack of faith. But yet when we read God, when we read our text, then Paul or Peter now in this particular situation, he speaks about a lack of hope is the result of refusing to put our trust in the grace of God. And therefore, this message that the Apostle Peter also brings to us in this letter is one that also can be encouraged and uplifting to one who deals with despair and with depression in their lives, perhaps also when it isn't necessarily a lack of faith, it can be other underlying problems. But generally speaking, then, in this text, we would say that despair sets in when someone rejects the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And we can understand what Peter is speaking about when when we remember the situation in which he is now writing this letter. That which is clear from the letter is that the Christians that he's writing to are going through a very difficult time because of their persecution. And so persecution and and opposition is making it very difficult for them so that their spiritual condition is going into decline. Now Peter doesn't condemn these Christians that their faith may be waning at this time or maybe spiritual decline. Because Peter himself, remember, understands the struggles that they're going through. Peter also understands how difficult it is to stay strong in the face of hardships. You think only of those moments in which he denied his Lord three times the night that his Lord, that he, that he betrayed his Lord. Well, the result of this persecution and the result of these hardships is that that many were losing their hope in the grace of God. When they first came to the Christian faith, they were full of this joy and full of this fervor, and they looked to the future with great hope. But when their faith actually made their life more difficult, the result is that many began to, to lose their faith and began to turn their back on the faith. 
Peter does not write to these Christians and you know, say to them, well, you know, you poor people, I know that you're going through some really hard times and I know therefore that you can't help your spiritual decline. I can't, I know that you can't help it, that you're having such a difficult time that your faith is going by the wayside. You know, his beloved, that he doesn't encourage them to self-pity. What did he do? He comes and he commands them to action. He commands them, he says, set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you. See, the fact that they despair is a result of a disobedient attitude towards the Lord. They need to be putting on a new attitude. They are to put their hope in God's grace. In the gospel, the Lord has proclaimed to us, beloved, a a wonderful grace of redemption in the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, when we speak about grace, grace is that, that free gift of salvation that the Lord has given to us through the redeeming work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, and that also explains that, that little word at the very beginning of our text, that little word, therefore, we easily overlook. But that little word, therefore, is there because Peter reminds us of what he has just finished writing about God's grace and setting our hope on God's grace. In verse 3, there he wrote about God's great mercy because God has given to us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so you see, he speaks there about the salvation the Lord has given to us in which we put our hope. And he writes in verse 10 about the prophets who who spoke of this grace of God. What did they do? They searched intently concerning this salvation. Why? Because they're eagerly looking for the coming of salvation. And now that salvation has come. For the Lord Jesus has appeared as the Savior of the world. And therefore, Peter says in our text, he says, you know, your hope doesn't come to you just automatically. But you have hope when you actively set your mind on the grace of God that has been revealed to you in Jesus Christ. And so, beloved, the struggle of faith is a struggle to constantly go back again to that wonderful work of our Lord Jesus Christ. The reason that the believers were losing hope in the midst of persecution was because they no longer set their hope in the work of the Lord Jesus Instead, they allowed the hardships and the persecutions in their lives to determine what they were feeling on the inside. They despaired because they only saw the hardships that they were going through and seeing only their hardships, they lost sight of the wondrous work of the Lord Jesus Christ for them. And so hope only comes when you turn your attention to the promises of the Lord. And that's why Peter then also commands us to turn our mind to those promises of God. The promises of God, he says, needs to have the center of your attention every day and every moment of your life. It's those promises of the Lord that works hope in your heart. And that's why the Apostle Paul has also said that the gospel is the power unto salvation. You see, that word of the Lord, with all those promises that God has given, is what changes your heart, what changes the attitude of your mind. The Spirit of God, He works hope in you, not automatically, but He works hope in you through the promises of the Gospel. And so Peter says, he says, set your hope then fully on the grace to be given to you. You know, that little word there in our text, the word fully, is very important. You could also translate that fully with the word entirely so that we could translate set your hope entirely on the grace of God. What he means by that is this. He says that there is only one hope. 
on which you must set your mind. And therefore, you must not abandon the one hope uh, that is everything for you. Oh, beloved, think about that. We are to set our our hope on that one hope that has been given to us as the only hope, as as the entirety of our hope. That's a difficult message for us to accept and to live by. I would say that even the most mature of Christians struggle with that message. How often don't your emotions fluctuate between hope and despair? No, you set your heart on something. Perhaps you set your heart on a certain job. That's the most important thing in your life that you get that job. Maybe you set your heart on a certain boy or a certain girl. That's everything in your life. Without that boy or that girl, your life is of no value. Perhaps you've set your heart on a house that you really want. Or maybe that you're dealing with illnesses or sicknesses and the treatments for that sickness promises a cure and everything looks good and you're hopeful that it will cure you and you set your hope on that. But suddenly, suddenly things don't work out exactly the way that you had hoped or the way that you had expected. And when things that we set our hearts upon don't work out the way that we'd hoped they're going to work out, that can be devastating because we counted on it so much as if our whole life depended upon it. Yes, we put our hope in those things and then our hope was shattered. And when our hope is shattered, what's the use of continuing on with life? And so when you set your hope on certain things happening in your life, you love what you've done. You have replaced the hope of the gospel for something that really has no substance at all. You put your hope in your money. Or you put your hope in, in that house that you really want. Or you put your hope in some achievement that you are dreaming about doing. You put your hope in the doctor and his work or the, or the medicine that he gives to you. You have placed your hope in something that really, earthly speaking, is worthless. All the earthly things that we often put our hope in, they're always going to let you down. Always. At some point, they will let you down. Our money, our government, our medical system, our friends, our family, they all are extremely poor things in which to place our hope for they will always disappoint us at some time in our life. And therefore, Peter says, he says, you only have one source of hope that will never, ever let you down. And that hope, Peter says, is the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, our great hope rests in that which the Lord will give to us in the future. And that means, beloved, that today we are a people who live by faith. And what faith is? Faith trusts the promises of God. But we do not yet receive all those promises and we will not receive all those promises in all of its fullness and its glory until the coming of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, today you have the promise of salvation. Today you have the promise of the great inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. And beloved, you will receive that salvation and you will receive that great inheritance on the day that the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. And you notice that Peter uses the passive tense when he says, to be given to you. The point here is this. The point is that God is active and that we are passive in this. God is actively working out our salvation and it will be given to us as His wonderful gift when at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Christ has come to this world. He has suffered. He has died for our sins. He has made that full payment for all of our iniquities. And therefore, you have this glorious hope for the future. Now, Peter says, now you are to set your mind on the glorious hope of the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says that because the Christians in Peter's day have lost sight of this hope because of the persecutions through which they were going. They could only see the hardships and the difficulties that their faith was bringing into their lives. And you know that when you only see the misery of this life, when you only see the hardships that faith is is bringing upon your life, you lose sight of the great hope of God's grace. But if these Christians had actively set their mind on the glorious promises of God that is to be given to them at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, they would have believed. And they would have rejoiced knowing that this present suffering cannot compare to the joy that awaits them. But by giving in to their suffering, by renouncing their faith, they would no longer, of course, suffer persecution in their lives and immediately their, their life here on earth might become, might be better. But they would lose the only hope that should give to them eternal life. And that beloved, and that beloved is the lesson that we need to learn daily. Now you can allow the disappointments in your life to, to ruin you, to bring you to despair. You can put your trust in, in earthly hopes and dreams. But you know, when those things don't work out as you had hoped, as you had planned, and as it happens so often, you will simply fall into despair. On the other hand, you can follow the command of the Apostle Peter and you can actively set your mind on the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. But beloved, it is a hope that will never disappoint you. For the Lord Jesus Christ, who we also confess this week has ascended into heaven, is the same one who will return and come again on the last day. And when He comes, then the grace of God will be revealed in all of its glory. Then the suffering and the struggles and the sacrifices that you had to make for the Lord today, they will be nothing compared to the wonderful joy that you will have in the eternal kingdom of, God, of, of your God. And Peter says, the way in which you can set your hope in the grace of God is to prepare your minds for action. The literal expression that Peter uses is to gird up the loins of your mind. Now, in some ways, that expression, that literal expression doesn't mean much to us in our day. What Peter does is he gives us a, a picture of a man who is springing to action. You see, in the ancient Near East, everyone would wear long robes. And therefore, if somebody had to, to go run somewhere, somebody had to do some strenuous work, and they would gather up their skirts of the robes and they would go and they would tuck it into their belt so that their legs would be free and that they'd be able, they would be free to run or to, or to do whatever work needed to, to be done. It was a sign, somebody girded up the, 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 the robes, it was a sign that they were springing into action. Today, the expression that we would use would be one like, well, let's go and let's roll up our sleeves. It indicates then a call to action. And so Peter then is encouraging the believers to spring into mental action. And that shows us that the Christian faith is, is not a faith based on emotion, and neither is it a faith just based on mindlessly following others. Some of you, probably students who go to secular colleges, 
And I have a daughter who is taking some courses at this time, and, and you get to have a bit of an insight into what goes on and what some of the teachers are teaching and saying also about the Christian faith and the Christian religion. And many of them will portray the Christian faith as one that is based on a mindless following the instruction of other people, perhaps mindlessly following a certain preacher, maybe mindlessly following the, the ideas and teachings of your parents. They claim that Christians have just been taught to obey their leaders without questioning, without really using their minds. Now we all know, of course, there's been a lot of talk lately in the, in the in the newspapers and the news about the Da Vinci Code with because of a, a movie that is coming out. And many are saying, well, the Da Vinci Code finally will shed light and will uncover the, all the secrets of the Christian religion and show that it's just a sham anyway. The ironic thing is that everybody uses their mind when looking at the Da Vinci Code will realize that it is nothing but itself is a sham. I beloved, to, to think that the Christian religion is just one of mindlessly following others, that faith is just a matter of blindly following the teachings of others. It's nonsense. Especially in light of what the Apostle Peter teaches us here in our text. Peter says that as Christians, you must engage your whole mind in the service of the Lord. Well, you know, back in the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages, we know that the Roman Church forbid the people to read the Bible. And they forbid them to read the Bible because they were afraid that the people would become independent from the church. Knowledge was viewed as something dangerous for the church. Well, thankfully, that changed with the, the Great Reformation when the Reformers made it a priority for the people to again hear the Word of God in their own language. It was important that the mind of the people again be engaged so that they might know the Word of God. And you know what happened in the, in the Roman church? Many in the Roman church, and men such as Luther also in the early part of his life, many of them, they, in those days, they lost a sense of hope. And why did they lose a sense of hope? Because they did not know the Word of God. But when the mind was again engaged with the Scriptures, and the people again studied the grace of God that was given to them at the coming of Jesus Christ, Suddenly, their lives changed. Suddenly, you find in Europe that there is a renewed fervor among the people to serve the Lord with their whole heart and with their whole life. For the Christian faith to grow in your life, beloved, mental battles need to be fought in your mind. Peter says, he says, gird up the loins of your mind. You must prepare your mind for action, he says. And the word mind is a word that describes the thinking through questions in your mind. And the question that we need to ask is, well, well, how do you, how do you deal with the problems of life? How do you deal with the issues of faith that crop up in your lives? The sad reality is, is that often we are simply too lazy to think through the issues of faith in our own minds, working it out with the word of our Lord. Perhaps there are also times that we as parents are guilty of that. Perhaps we, we ourselves have encouraged a lazy spiritual attitude in our own children by not taking the time or making the effort to work through the spiritual questions or the spiritual concerns that they may have and that they may raise. 
And when we're not willing to take the time to, to also deal with the spiritual issues and perhaps those times when, when they challenge you and they challenge your faith and we simply brush them off. We've taught our children that they don't have to waste their time trying to ask dad or mom any questions or challenge their faith because we're not going to get an answer from them anyway. And so we teach them to be spiritually lazy, not working through challenges of the Christian faith. And so rather than actively engaging our minds, the other thing we often do is we just simply just go with the flow. And when there are issues in our lives, we just do whatever feels good without thinking through those questions as to what does this mean for my life as a, a child of the Lord? What does Peter do? Well, Peter comes and he calls us to think through the questions and to think through the struggles of life and to apply the Word and the will of God in every situation. Beloved, you are not allowed to be passive listeners to the Word. You know, after you listen to to the sermon, you might go home and you might say, you know, that was a pretty good message. But very quickly... You may be in the back of your mind. You may be completely forgotten the rest of the week. But the Lord calls you to active listening. And that means, beloved, that you need to actively think about the word that you have heard. And you need to be thinking, how does that word apply also in the situation of my own life? How do I see the issues in my life in, in regard to the grace the Lord God has given to me? As Christians, we need to constantly be thinking about how the Word of the Lord applies. And when Christians are being persecuted, they were in the days of Peter. You know, these Christians, they, and many did that, they just let their feelings and their emotions take over. And allowing your feelings and your emotions to take over, what happens is they lost sight of the hope that the Lord God had given to them. Such a reaction of simply going along with things and letting our feelings and our emotions guide us is a completely different different reaction from what the prophets did that Peter writes about in verse 10 of this chapter. See how those prophets in the Old Testament, many who were persecuted, many who were opposed by their own brothers and their sisters, see how they put their mind to action in those difficult times. They didn't lose their faith. No, they went and they searched the Word of God intently. And with the greatest care, trying to find out when the promised Savior would come, when the promises of God would come to fruition. They applied their mind to God's Word to understand what the Lord was going to do for His people. Well, today, beloved, we need to have the same attitude about the Word of our Lord. You are called to to be active with your mind in searching the Word of God intently with the greatest care, so that you may also apply the promises of the Lord in your life. It's the only way in which you're able to set your hope on the grace of God. Well, That also gives us the motivation, this congregation, uh, to be active, encouraging one another in the study of God's Word. And of course, I realize we're probably at the end of study societies, and the summertime is coming, and then it's easy to forget about working with the Word of God. But we need to encourage one another also as congregation uh, to be busy with the Word and also applying that Word, applying the, gra- applying the grace that God has given to us in Christ Jesus in our lives. And so our, our minds need to be constantly busy. You cannot grow in the hope that God gives you without activating your mind. The great danger in our day 
is that our society emphasizes experience and they emphasize emotion. And that trend, beloved, is not only found out there in society and the world, a trend that's found in the world also, unfortunately, is a trend that is taken over often in the Christian life. Often we interpret God's truth, how we interpret God's truth through our experiences, rather than than interpreting our experiences through God's truth. And so, for example, somebody will say, you know, well, God is leading me in this direction. And because God has led me in this direction, therefore they can come to the conclusion that what we're doing must be okay, it must be right, it must be correct. Rather than asking whether the direction in which they have been going and in which we have been traveling is also a direction that has been revealed to us in the will of God, or revealed to us in the Word of God as His will. And so some young Boy or girl may, may also argue and say, you know, God led me to this unbelieving boy, this unbelieving girl. And because God led me to that person, therefore it must be God's will that I go out with that boy or that girl. Rather than asking ourselves whether or not it isn't against God's will that I may go out with an unbeliever and be unequally yoked with one who is not a child of God. You see, whenever we are dealing with God's will in our life, the Lord demands that you become active with your mind. And you don't let your emotions and your feelings guide you and direct you. We need to, to search out the will of the Lord, what that will really is. Well, you know, in, in the case of the Christians who are being persecuted here in our text, it would have been easy for them to simply let their difficult experiences, experiences lead them away from the Lord. If they looked at their own life, at their own experiences, and how how difficult their life had become as a Christian, they could also conclude from this experience that faith isn't worth it. It would be so much easier for us to simply give up the faith and to simply do what everybody else does, the unbelievers, live as the unbelievers live. But yet when they actively study the Word of the Lord, it would become clear that while they may be experiencing hardships for their faith today, they know that the Lord has given to us a great hope in Jesus Christ. And then, beloved, we will not be guided by our feelings, but we will be guided by the Word and by the Spirit of God. It teaches us that if we continue to walk in that path of faith, that there is a glorious hope that awaits us at the coming of Jesus Christ. And then Peter says, and then you must also be self-controlled. The word that he uses is one that is used for being sober. That is, not being intoxicated with alcohol. Basically what Peter says here is, as Christians you need to be level-headed. You need to be sober. Well, you know what alcohol does? Alcohol makes it impossible for us to, to think straight when we abuse it. So that we do things that we normally wouldn't do if we were sober. If you do not have the word of the Lord, and you do not have the promises of God, beloved, it is so easy to lose your cool also in a time of crisis and hardships. And perhaps there have been times in your own life when you've had to deal with some crisis where suddenly you felt completely at a loss and almost drove you crazy. You just didn't know where to turn and what to do and you did all kinds of silly things. Perhaps there's also a situation where there was something that was so important in your life. You put so much, you attach so much importance to it that 
you actually began to act contrary to what you knew was your better judgment. Well, beloved, if you find yourselves also in a crisis situation, or you find yourself in a situation where you know that really that's not the way I should go, but that's what I really want, and you find yourself going in that direction, then remember what the Apostle Peter also warns us about here and what he teaches us here. Peter says you need to stay level-headed, self-disciplined. You need to be sober. Because you can begin to, to panic and you begin, begin to fear for your life and you begin to put all your hopes in that thing that you put, that you set your hope upon. But beloved, as Christians, we're commanded to react in faith. And reacting in faith means that you put your hope in the promises of God. It can be a fearful experience. And suddenly we're faced with some great danger in our life. And our life is completely set upside down. And yet, beloved, we can learn to be calm because we have the assurance of God's grace that is coming to us at the coming of Jesus Christ. You see the Christians who are being persecuted. These Christians, they can become so overwhelmed by their persecution that they lose their cool and they become hysterical and they think the worst of their life and they simply act against their better judgment. We need to understand that such an experience indeed it can be a very difficult time. We need to understand, beloved, that also difficult times in our lives are difficult to, as difficult as they may be to endure, that different people will also deal with them differently. And that also as brothers and sisters in the Lord. We need to be careful that we don't judge the way somebody reacts to a certain experience or crisis or, or situation in their lives. Understanding that we all are also at different points in our lives with regard to our faith. And yet, and yet we are commanded to be level-headed. Which means that although our situation may be very bad and may be very difficult, yet we can remain calm. Why? Because we can set our hope on the grace of God. Reminds me, remember years ago, time of the millennium, year 2000, that there were many doomsday scenarios that were set up by many. There was much hysteria about what was going to happen when the year 2000 came about. Many said that terrible things are going to happen. The world's going to fall apart. Nothing's going to work anymore. We're going to lose everything. You know, today, today we hear about how the earth is going to be devastated by global warming. And how the whole world is going to come to an end very quickly if we don't do something about it. In the past, we've heard about the nuclear holocaust that is coming. Perhaps today we're closer to that than we were in the past. But beloved, as God's people, we know that and we indeed know that the end is coming. And when the end is coming and how it will come, we don't know that. But neither do we fear the end. Why? Because the Lord has given to us a great hope in His Word. Being self-disciplined, being level-headed, being sober is possible because you know that the end will bring the return of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when He comes, then the grace of God on which you have set your hope today, that will be given to you. And therefore, beloved, be a people who actively set your minds fully on the grace that is to be given to you when Jesus Christ is finally revealed in all His glory. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, 
please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.